Thank you, Jared. <coughs> My notes look a little disorganized today, but they're not. They're not. They're just they're just in different mediums. So if you're a note taker, this this today's sermon's like a note taker's dream, okay? Just let you in, into that today. But reflecting on this text that Jerry read for us, I am grateful for the transfiguration mountains in life, where we do not doubt God's presence with us and his providence for us or the loyalty of our friends. These moments remain in our imaginations as we descend into the conflict and pain of a broken world, where we tend to people who we know by name and whom we have grown to love. I've been thinking about mountaintop experiences this week and this whole idea of transfiguration and the miracles that sometimes surprise us in life as we're just kind of going about our business. And in between all of the hard things, it just sometimes there's just a cloud that overshadows and there's a voice that speaks and we have clarity that maybe we didn't have before. And these moments can come at all kinds of different times in life. Uh, one of the times that I think of where you have actually a picture of, I haven't been in my life a whole lot of times near mountains in the first place because I'm from out here like y'all. So uh, we don't have a lot of these, but uh, when you have a chance to stand on a mountain, of course, things around you uh, become more clear in a certain sense. So I have a picture from uh, oh, seven or eight years ago. This is Amberly and I on our 10th anniversary. And we hiked through the Pecos Wilderness, and we this was our kind of mountaintop experience. We arrived on, this is East Pecos Baldy, uh, which is one of the tallest mountains in the Pecos Wilderness. And this is us standing on the top of it after a long hike. And uh, we just got this little shot where you can kind of see things us, their uh, smiles on our faces, and just symbolic of those times where you're just, you're just all smiles. You go, gosh, it doesn't get any better than this. Excuse me, let me switch over here on the microphone. <clears throat> so, the big experiences, the experiences that bring clarity, that remind us of God's miraculous presence among us at all times and in different ways. It's sort of ironic that even things that we call like out-of-body experiences, okay? So out-of-body experiences, ironically, neurologists tell us, I can hardly spell neurologists, but uh, I trust what they say about this because they study our brains. Um, They say that, you know, an out-of-body experience actually begins in our body. It begins in our brains, right? Like dreams. And so uh, if, you, if you doubt the existence of out-of-body experiences and the power of the mind to conceive them, then just I invite you to recall what it's like to hear the conversations that occur on a bus filled with junior high students. Okay? Can you go back there with me? Now, now you, now you see what I'm talking about. It's, it's not hard for our mind to arrive at these places that just seem otherworldly, and impossible. Jesus Christ does not save us apart from our bodies and our minds. We don't just float around in the spirit world as Christians, affirming things as we bounce from cloud to cloud and live in some dream world that doesn't really exist, involving hands and feet and food and hugs and letters and phone calls and jobs and all those kinds of things. 
Christ doesn't save us apart from our bodies and minds. Also, when it comes to reaching us with encouragement and nourishment along the way, Christ involves our bodies. Think about sacraments like Holy Communion and Baptism, where we take ordinary, tangible signs to communicate the things that we cannot see with our eyes, and yet we affirm with our will and our heart and our mind. Sacred moments in life where we mark, you know, the old story about, you know, raising to Ebenezer and the song that we sing about it. I'm marking this place for what God has done, just to remind me so that when I'm tempted to forget that God is with me, I can remember this moment, this stone of help that I'll raise, this Ebenezer, that God was here. That God was with us. Christianity is filled with a history of these experiences. And we give thanks for these sacred experiences, these holy experiences, these transfiguration mountain moments. A, because they reveal to us usually some aspect of God's nature. Maybe that we've tended to forget. Whatever it is that we're needing to remember about God, sometimes these transfiguration moments can help us remember that. God is all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, and that he's all-present everywhere, all the time, that he cares about what we experience. And we give thanks for these experiences as well because they prepare us for being God's ambassadors in a pain-filled world. Jesus knows exactly the world that he sends us out into. Jesus is not naive. He literally lived and walked among us. He knows exactly what is in the hearts and minds of human beings and governments and families and community structures. He knows all the social rules and the faux pas and being excluded, being in and being out. He knows all about all this. And so when he sends us into the world, he's not naive that this is just a world filled with lollipops and happiness. But we're sent into a world filled with brokenness. Jesus hit that head on, and he forms us in such a way that we too are prepared to face the pain and the brokenness and be light in dark places, be salt in a world that has lost its saltiness. Okay, if you are a note taker, I'm going to invite you to just draw a picture. All right, if you like to if you like to see things, you like to draw a picture, you can draw and, and you don't have to be a good artist to do this because I did it. And basically the picture that I want you to draw is just a picture of a mountain. So, you know, you're just starting over here and you kind of work your way on a level plane and then you go up to a mountaintop and then at some point you have to come down from the mountaintop and then over here, the plane, we're back, we're back moving on the, on the plane. Okay. And at the base of the mountain, before you ascend the mountain, I want you to make the symbol of a cross. And then when you get to the top of the mountain, I want you to make, again, the symbol of a cross. And then when you get back down the mountain on the other side, before you start back in the plane, make another symbol of the cross. All right, so we have a cross at the base of the mountain, a cross at the top of the mountain, and then a cross on our way down the mountain. And these three crosses are to symbolize Jesus standing at all three of these points and inviting us to follow him to these places, all right? And he accompanies us on this journey. So this is what it looks like. So I've got my, 
I've got my picture drawn here with a few things filled in, which we'll get to some of these things, but it's, I had to do two pages because I got a little carried away, but uh, cross down here, cross up here, and cross over here, and we're moving throughout this all together. Okay, so here's the story. We're at the base of the mountain before we've ever gone anywhere, and Jesus is in conversation with his disciples, namely Peter, and he's asked Peter, hey, Peter, uh, who do you say that I am? Remember, and Peter saying, well, gosh, there's all kinds of stuff out there about who people say that you are, and some say this, and some say that. And he says, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But who do you say that I am? And, he, and Peter, in this magnificent confession, you know, the blundering disciple that we pick on all the time, he just makes this lucid, just beautiful, perfect declaration. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Boom. And the clouds open, and, and, and Peter gets it. He knows it, so he's confessed it, and everybody can rally around that cry, and that's that cross there at the bottom. You're the Christ, the Son of God. You're the Savior of the world. You're the one that came to rescue us. And Jesus takes that opportunity not to give Peter a high five or say, oh, yeah, it's going to be great, and let's pop the champagne cork. He says, actually, I, I've got to go to Jerusalem, and it is necessary that the Son of Man, Jesus, be delivered into the hands of men and be crucified in Jerusalem and on the third day rise again. So that's the cross. That's the cross at the beginning where we're, we're triumphant and we're excited that there's a Savior among us, but we didn't really anticipate that the saving would happen this way, that it would require a cross. So that's where we start. They have this discussion and Jesus says, oh yeah, and if you want to follow me to where I'm going, You've got to take up your cross and deny yourself, you know, and, and follow after me. And that's kind of how this works, this Christianity thing. And so then Luke tells us this, this story of the transfiguration. And he says, now about eight days after these conversations happened. But don't you love it? The precise storytelling, you know, Luke chooses his words very carefully. And he still feels the need to include the word about. Just like all of us, when we tell a story, oh, about eight days later. And my question is, if you're going to tell a story and use the word about, why not use like a nice even number, like five days or ten days? Or even like a more fancy number, like twelve. But about eight days? There's nothing about about eight days. That's a very precise number, Luke. What are you trying to tell us? I think he's trying to tell us, you know, it's not so much about whether I'm exactly right. It was eight days or seven days or six days or ten days or twelve days. But he's using the eight day to get our attention. There's about to be this mountain climb, and a couple of things are happening in the imagination and the use of the eighth day. First of all, you have back in their Old Testaments, these good Jews, they're remembering that on the eighth day, in the Feast of Tabernacles, something big happened. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was the time that our ancestors, that they remembered that when they were Wandering in the wilderness, the way that God lived with them is he lived with them in a tent. Remember that? We called it the tabernacle. They were living in tents. God was living in a tent, and that's how he was among them. So that was God tabernacling among his people so that they have a feast to commemorate that. And on the eighth day, something really important happens. Additionally, in the early church, the church loved to use the number eight to signify new creation. That's why our baptismal fonts, if you go all around the world, 
our baptism fonts are usually built with eight sides. Eight-sided baptismal fonts to say new life, new life, new life, right? Seven's the perfect number. It's the last day of creation in our early account. But then God is doing a new thing in Jesus Christ, and he's restoring all things and preparing eternal life for us. So all this good stuff about new life is eighth day. So again, Luke's just teasing us along. Now about eight days later, something big is happening. Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John. Now remember these guys? These are the first ones that we hear about their call story. These are the first ones that Nate and Ken here a few weeks ago told us about their story of being called. They're the first ones. They're kind of the inner circle. And, and Luke tells us that Jesus took these three guys up a mountain with him. Okay, so now if you like to draw arrows, you can start the climb. We're, we're headed up the mountain. And he's heading up the mountain with these three guys. And what is their purpose? Luke tells us the purpose of them going up the mountain was to pray. They're heading up the mountain to pray. Okay, after eight days, Peter, James, and John, Jesus takes them, and they're walking up the mountain, and their purpose is to pray. Now, while Jesus is praying, some things begin to happen. And this is familiar language because in Jesus' baptism here just a few chapters ago, Luke doesn't tell us a lot about the baptism. Remember, there's not a lot of fanfare, but he says, while Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. It's the exact same word construction. While Jesus is praying, some things begin to happen. So we have these holy moments, these sacred moments, these times where we're drawn into the presence of God. So a few things begin to happen. First of all, the appearance of Jesus' face is changed, transfigured. And his clothing becomes dazzling white. And behold, two men are talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. See, this is just your laissez-faire, everyday experience of prayer, right? When you and I pray, we just all the time, we're like, oh, hey, Elijah. Oh, hey, Moses. I'm nice to see you, Jesus, in your transfigured face and your dazzling white clothes. Remember Moses when he went up on the mountain and he, and he spent time with God and he came back down and the people couldn't stand to look in his face because his face was transfigured. Moses representing God to the people, the people to God. Jesus stands in. He's got not only Moses there representing the law, but we've got Elijah there representing the prophets. We've got the law and the prophets in this big trifecta there with Jesus. And they're all together. And then Moses and Elijah begin to speak. of Jesus' departure. I don't know what your translation says. Mine says departure. The word, we're not surprised, is exodus. They begin to speak about Jesus' exodus. Where do we know that word from? We know the word exodus from when Moses was used as an ambassador to deliver God's people from a really bad time to deliver God's people from slavery. And so here Jesus is with Moses and Elijah. They're speaking of his exodus, his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Okay, remember he announced it at the base of the mountain. Uh, Jesus now is at the top of the mountain. And then they start talking about his exodus, which will happen in Jerusalem, which is way over here, back on the plain uh, off the mountain. 
Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Again, I just love this as a, as a corollary for prayer. Is prayer not this way? I mean, half the time we don't know what we're saying or what we're doing. Peter opens his mouth and he begins to speak, and he doesn't know what he's saying, Luke says. And uh, Luke would say the same thing about me. Oh, Ryan began to open his mouth and pray, and he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> he didn't know where he was going with that. Engaging Jesus in this story, and this just crazy thing happens. Peter is caught up in all of the majesty and the transfiguration. And for a little while, Peter's asleep, again reminding me of prayer, what it's like to be in prayer. He's asleep for a little while with the other guys, and then at some point he wakes up. He wakes up in enough time to recognize what's happening. And when he does, he blurts out, oh my goodness, this is good. Let's stay here. Jesus, can we just, you know, tabernacle for you, tabernacle, let's get some tabernacles here, just some tents, and let's go camping together, and let's just stay here. This is a wonderful moment. We know what this is like, right? When you have a great experience, and what do we always rehearse and say to each other when we haven't been there long enough and we have to go home? We say, man, I just don't want to leave. I wish we could stay one more day. Our kids are always, can we just stay one more day? Can we go ride the rides one more time? Can we do this thing one more time? We just want to stay just a little while longer. Peter's like us. He just he wants to hold on to the goodness and to the things that we know and we can trust, that we can see, that we can touch, and that remind us that life is not ultimately just a bunch of chaos that's meant to drive us mad. So we understand Peter. We understand his request. And we're making that request all the time. God, will you just meet with us? Will you just come and be with us and just hang out with us here a while? Can we just stay here and experience you in a way that we know that you're real and hang in there and just be here together? And can we just stay here a while longer? And as Peter is saying these things, a cloud comes and overshadows them. Now the cloud triggers our memory as well. Remember that the cloud was a symbol of God's presence uh, and, and that they would travel, the Israelites would travel by day. The cloud would go before them and lead them and show them it was a sign of God's majesty and his presence with us. This cloud comes and overshadows them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice as if the cloud and the transfiguration and the voices of Moses and Elijah, if, if all that's not enough, there's another voice that speaks. And I imagine this voice a little more thunderous. And from the cloud, a voice speaks. This is my chosen son. Listen to him. Again, it's kind of similar to the baptismal affirmation where a voice breaks from the clouds and says, but in baptism, God says to his son, you are my beloved son 
with whom I am well pleased, right? All the language is going straight to Jesus. You are my beloved son. Now here, God speaks again. The voice of God speaks again. And this time, he's not directly addressing Jesus. He's directing his voice to the disciples. And he's directing his voice to us, who are disciples who've come after. And he says, this is my beloved son. This is my chosen son. Listen to him. So this voice from the cloud and the cloud itself interrupts Peter in his prayer and his request, just like we're often interrupted in our prayer and our request. And we hear something like this. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. If you want to know which way to walk, listen to Jesus. He is my chosen son. If you want to know the perfect Summation and representation of the law and the prophets. Listen to my son. We can't build three tabernacles because Jesus is the tabernacle. Are you saying this is the new tabernacle? If you want to know how God is present among his people now, we don't have to build him a tent or a temple. But Jesus has come as the new tabernacle. And he carries with him the presence of God as he walks among us and as he heals and preaches and teaches and baptize and meets us in holy communion, the new tabernacle is here. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and they told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Unbelievable story. This just lucid, beautiful picture that Luke is able to tell because someone was able to tell it to him. And so he writes it down beautifully and perfectly and with all these symbols and the eight days and the allusions to Moses and Elijah and the whole bit, because I'm sure Peter, James, and John like to tell that story. That's a good story. You know, we ought to tell those stories. Those are good stories. It's also instructive for us. You just almost can't read the transfiguration story without reading the first part of what comes next. What comes next in Luke's gospel, in chapter 9, on the next day, so we had after eight days and new life, but on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met Jesus. And just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. And suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks, and it convulses him until he foams at the mouth, and it mauls him and will scarcely leave him, and I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. From the Transfiguration Mountain back down to the valley of real life. And Jesus doesn't run away from that. He stands right in the middle, and he goes and he heals the boy. And he goes on to the next place and heals the next person. And he stands in the middle of a broken and painful world, And he brings the presence of God. And so as we imagine ourselves moving from these sacred, magnificent, transfiguration, holy moments to the Monday mornings of life where we're just right back in the mix with people that drive us crazy, who are dishonest, all of that stuff that we have to walk into, we carry with us 
the presence of Jesus. Our faces, too, being transfigured. Our hearts being transfigured. Our imaginations being transfigured. Our capacity for faith, hope, and love being transfigured and transformed until we are able to stand with Jesus in that broken world and bring the healing that the world is crying out for. I'd like to interpret this call to listen to Jesus as kind of a word to us as a church as we begin the season of Lent. And I know the season of Lent comes with a lot of abuses and stereotypes and silly things uh, that go along with it. Uh, but Lent is a is a 40-day journey to the cross, really. It's a 40-day journey that usually involves uh, reflection, you know, and self-awareness and paying attention to things. And so sometimes to pay attention to God in a different way or pay attention to something going on in ourselves, we deprive ourselves for a time of some really good thing. Some good thing that we're maybe inordinately attached to. And we just kind of begin that journey of trying to take those steps and live again in that hard world with the assurance that Jesus is with us. And a great way to kick off the season of Lent is the Ash Wednesday service. And I'm just saying that personally because I can't, I, I almost depend on that, on that service to just get things going. I mean, I, I really do. And I'm excited about this year and about Daniel coming to speak to us. I think it'll be a great way for us to begin that journey. But uh, whether we start there or a few days later or whenever, just invite us to consider what it's like, as we know, to live in a hard world, in a broken world, and what it looks like for us to spend time with Jesus in those transfiguration mountains with our brothers and sisters, that we might be transformed, that we might be prepared to take this good news message and all that accompanies it to a world that is crying out for Jesus to come and stand with them in their pain. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.